right, well, happy Easter, everyone. My name's Dave, one of the pastors here. I serve as the pastor of Spiritual Formation and Care, and I'm here with my colleague. My name's Bob. I am the pastor of uh, Family Life and Mission, well, and we're excited to be uh, preaching together with you today, so let awesome. Dave kick it off. Happy Easter, Pastor Bob. Uh, Easter is the Sunday of all Sundays. It's the Sunday that defines every other Sunday. It's the reason why we gather. It's the reason why we sing. It's the reason why we baptize. It's the reason why we support missions around the world. It's the reason really why we do everything that we do. This is the Sunday we all gather together and we say Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Everything that we do, every ministry that we have all points back towards this one event, namely that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was crucified, buried, and then was seen to be alive again by eyewitnesses. And all of that gives us the ability to say, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose victorious from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Amen? For this year, speaking of the dark domain, we've chosen as our theme uh, the book of Ecclesiastes because that's what we've been studying over the last three months together. And the book of Ecclesiastes may not initially seem like a good choice for Easter, but I think that you'll see this morning that the themes actually have some powerful connections with the truths that we understand about Resurrection uh, Sunday. And so we're going to blend in themes from Ecclesiastes and themes from our next series through the book of Philippians, and that'll be our text for Easter Sunday. One of the themes from Ecclesiastes is that the author always repeats these words throughout the book like 38 different times. He says this, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And the idea there is that a life lived apart from God without God is futile. There is no transcendent purpose. There's no transcendent meaning, not without an infinite reference point. If I could try to illustrate this, the word vanity there is the Hebrew word hevel, and it means to be fleeting, to be here and to be gone. Uh, and it's kind of like, if you will, uh, soap bubbles. If you've ever played with soap bubbles when you were a little kid, you remember that you used to blow these things, and sometimes you try to catch them. They're here, and then they're gone. That's actually a great word picture for this word uh, hevel or vanity. It, it comes, it goes. That's kind of like life. We just can't seem to hold on to things in this life. And so for this, because we're having a family worship Sunday, uh, we thought we would invite a couple volunteers up to the stage, some, some of my younger friends in the audience. I need four volunteers who would be willing to come up here and help me with some bubble blowing real quick. So just raise your hand if you're willing to do that. Would you come on up? One, two right there, three, and I need one more. Can you come on up? All right, give my volunteers a big hand. Come on up to the stage. I need another, uh, another, all right, very good. And uh, tell me, what's your name? Kendra. Kendra. All right, you're going to stand over here by, next, by my friend Bob right there. And then what's your name? Naomi. Naomi. All right, you're going to stay with me, Naomi. And then tell, tell me, what's your name? Asia. Asia. Very nice to meet you. And then you're going to stand over here. And then what's your name? Ava. Ava. Okay, very good. So we're going to give you this, this bottle of, have you ever seen those before? You know what we're doing here? Okay, so go ahead and open the top. And uh, we're going to give you that bottle of bubbles, and your job is to blow some bubbles, your two jobs, and then your two jobs is to try to catch them without them popping, okay? So uh, on your mark, get set, go. Let's just see how, how well we can do here. Very good. You're doing good. Yep. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Can you get one? Oh, that was so close. Very good. 
Well, I think this is kind of a futile attempt. Hey, give my volunteers a big hand for helping us out there. You guys get a little bubble thing to take home before you can stop at the table over there, and they will give you something to take with you. Thank you for trying. But as you can see, uh, when it comes to these bubbles, we can't grasp them. We can't hold them. We can't hang on to them. And Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, that's kind of like life. Everything in this life is something that we can't hold on to, whether it's pleasure or possessions or, or power. It's all temporary. It's here and it's gone. It's, it's meaningless. And so let me ask the adults in the, question, uh, in the room this question as we begin today. What bubbles are you chasing in your life? What are those bubbles that you've been chasing that you can't seem to grasp, that don't seem to be able to uh, be something that you can hold on to? Maybe it's for you, it's, it's money. Or maybe it's possessions, or maybe it's your career, or maybe it's uh, your job, or some season of happiness, or even a relationship. We desperately try to hold on to these things, but they disappear like bubbles in our, our hands. That's what life is like without God. Solomon says it's like a chasing after the wind. It's like madness. Uh, Tim Keller says it this way. If there really is no God, uh, if the origin of your life is meaningless, then your destiny is meaningless And you should also have the wits to admit that your whole life is meaningless too. This is what life would be like without the living God. Think about the implications if Easter did not happen. If we were not here to celebrate this this morning, if Jesus was still in the grave, here's 10 things that would be true if that were reality. Our Savior would be lifeless. Our preaching would be useless. Our message is reckless. Our faith is worthless. Our work is endless. Our sufferings are pointless. Our sins are countless. Our future is hopeless. Our hearts are restless. And our life is meaningless. That's some really bad news. That's actually what the scripture teaches, though. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished If in Christ we have hope for this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That would be really, really, really bad news. Uh, Even just one of those things on the screen would be bad news. But all of them together paint a pretty bleak reality. That's the point of the book of Ecclesiastes. Life lived without the living God is meaningless. And so what's the solution to all that meaninglessness? What's the solution to all of the madness? How do we reverse the madness? That's what we want to talk about for our Easter message today, which we simply entitled The Reversal of the Madness, because that's what happened on Easter. And we'll talk about that in three parts. We'll talk about life under the sun, then we'll talk about life in the sun, and then we'll talk about life beyond the sun. So that's our plan. Would you pray with me as we dive into God's Word? Dear God, you have our attention. I pray for my friends here today. Some of them might be feeling like they're living in the madness of life right now. And maybe nobody knows, but you know, Lord, and you know how to fix it. And so, God, remind us of the power of your resurrection today. Remind us of the hope of Easter, for we so need it desperately. And we ask you to speak, Lord, for your people are listening. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Bob? Uh, Before we start talking about our problems this morning, uh, let's have a little pop quiz to see how many people were paying attention during the last few months if you were coming for our Ecclesiastes series. Adults, this is for the kids first. Here's the question. What is Pastor Dave's favorite candy? All right. I will take, somebody want to raise their hands and answer that? Yes. Yes. In the back. I heard a Reese's back there. Yes. Over here. Reese's. Any other? Yes. 
Three Musketeers. Oh my goodness. All right. Anyway, I'll give you one anyway. There you go. There's Reese's. I brought Reese's for you today. All right. All right. Look at that. I still got it. All right. Can I get the person in the back who answered the question in the back over there? All right. Here you go. Oh, that was close enough. All right. Congratulations, Reese's. All right. So anyway, that's your special reward for Easter Sunday. Uh, be on the lookout. There's more Reese's to come as we go along here. All right. Back to our problem. We all have a problem. Every person listening to this message right now has a problem, and if we are honest, we can sense it deep down in our souls. What is it? And it's that we focus too much on the temporal life, the the under-the-sun life, rather than the forever life with God. What's the problem with that? Well, as Dave just mentioned, Solomon uses a word over and over again in Ecclesiastes that highlights that problem, and that's the word hevel. And this word is notoriously difficult to translate because it has a wide variety of meanings, but we've been translating it as mere breath. But again, you can see why that, that hasn't always worked because in the English, what do you say? Life is mere breath. It's mere breath. Everything is mere breath. It sounds kind of weird. But this is how the word is used in other places. For example, Psalm 144 says, Lord, we are human beings. What, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. That's Hebel. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Or consider Isaiah 57, 13. It says, when you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. Now, what does this word picture tell us? Hebrew words are very pictorial. When the original audience read this word, they would have understood the concept. Solomon wants you to understand the fleeting brevity of life. It's like a breath, or it's like A bubble, as we just talked about. Now, the second phrase that points to our problem is life under the sun. Now, let me speak to the kids in the audience for just a moment. I've noticed, kids, that you, when you want to get someplace, you love to run everywhere. You get out of class and you want to go home, you run. You need to go to the bathroom, you run. You come into the sanctuary after Sunday school, you run everywhere, right? You run. Is this true? And what do your parents start to say? Stop running. What's that one rule at school that you always break? No running in the hallway. And yet, you still run. Now, I want to let you in on a little secret. At some point in our lives, we get older and we stop running. Why? In our old age, we become grumpy. (laughs) We stop getting excited about everything. We like to take our time. Why? Why do we stop running? Why do we lose the excitement as we get older? I think it's the reality that the cycle of life hits us. We get worn down by this fallen world, and we start asking the question that Solomon asks in Ecclesiastes 1.3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Many of us are asking that question. Some of us have invested a lot of time in our work, in our family, in our, in our ministry, and at some point... We, we, we start to wonder, did it matter? It's the reason so many people, once they finish their career and retire, just want some time to relax. Well, Solomon says even the sun understands this. He says the sun rises, the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises. You see, even the sun gets it. It rises, it sets, it rises, it sets, it rises, it sets every day. It feels really monotonous. But what would life be like without the sun? The sun is important. Now look at that word hurries. It actually means to pant. 
It's giving you the image that the sun is running out of breath as it does this, like a, like a runner running endlessly around the racetrack. The sun is like a little kid who never stops running. Does anybody else feel like that in their daily lives? Right? Life is hebel. It's brief. It's here. It's gone. And we're living life under the sun. It feels monotonous, like we're trapped with no purpose. The world feels broken. It feels like this is not how it should be. Why? The book of Ecclesiastes gives us at least two reasons why. The first reason is sin. We, we live in a sinful world with sinful people who rebel against their creator, God. This has been true since the beginning. Take a look at chapter 7, verse 20. Solomon says this, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Now, I want you to pause and just take that in for a moment. We've all felt the effects of sin on our lives and in our world personally and relationally. Uh, For the kids in the audience, I think you know what this word means. I know Miss Rachel has been teaching you well, but just for the sake of review, let me just define sin for you. Sin is doing bad things that displease God. And that can be disobeying your parents. It can mean taking someone else's toy without asking. It can mean using mean words on the playground. In this life under the sun, the world is not as it should be because we sin and we suppress the truth about God. It does not happen on an interpersonal level only. Sin affects the whole world. And so the second reason why we feel trapped under the sun in this life of purposelessness and suffering is because the world itself is actually crooked. We live in a crooked world. Solomon gets to all of this in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. Take a look at verse 15 of chapter 1. He says this, What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Ecclesiastes is about this world down here under the sun where sin exists and this world down here doesn't always behave. This world can be enigmatic and it doesn't always make sense. You see, many of us look at the world today and we wish it were better But we see all around us the crookedness. We see wars and our nations are crooked. We see political corruption and our leaders are crooked. We see the state of education and that system seems to be crooked. We see systemic poverty and oppression and we realize everything is crooked and we wish there was something that we could do to straighten out this world, but we just can't and we're tired of living under the sun. And where does all this lead? Well, Solomon concludes the book of Ecclesiastes with one sobering reality. That is the fact that we all die. Death becomes the great equalizer. Death, in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, you might remember Solomon paints this vivid picture of aging and death where we are all seen to be terminal. This is why everything is meaningless. Solomon says the answer uh, to the question of why does everything seem to be meaningless is death. That's why. That's why Easter is so relevant to the book of Ecclesiastes with with this reality. Ecclesiastes tells us, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. We need a way out of this madness. Bob, help us out here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our opening illustration reminded us of this truth, the truth about the bubbles. Now, my kids love blowing bubbles. In fact, I stole one of their toys like I like to do for sermons occasionally. Uh, There is so much excitement when I pull out this bubble wand in my house. I start to open the container and the kids are like, the bubbles are coming. Yes, the bubbles are coming. In fact, let me blow some for you right now. There they are. The bubbles are coming. 
Now, I'm gonna have, I need some uh, help with this, too. I actually have some friends who are going to come down the audience and blow some bubbles, and I'm going to come out here and see if anybody wants to blow bubbles with me. You guys want to help me blow some bubbles? All right. That's right. The bubbles are coming. The bubbles are coming. Can I get some excitement from the audience, right? Here come the bubbles. Yes, yes. There are the bubbles. All right, all right. The bubbles are coming. Now, here's the thing. The bubbles come, and eventually they pop. Can you try to pop those bubbles that are around you right now if you're near some bubbles? Just pop the bubbles, right? Try to find them. See if you can pop them. Pop, 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 pop. That's right. Bubbles float around after you blow them, after you release your breath into them, and eventually they either pop prematurely, you pop them, or they fall to the ground. That's what happens. And you know what's really cool? The bubbles come, they go, they, they're gone. Nobody remembers the bubbles. Did anybody remember the bubble that was just near them right now or the fact that I just blew bubbles? Nobody remembers the bubble. And then the, reali the reality is in 100 years, nobody's going to remember you either. That's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1. He says, no one remembers the former generations, and yet even those who come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Now, some of you out there are saying, wow, is this an Easter sermon, right? What kind of Easter sermon is this? Is this April 1st or April 9th, right? Did I get the date right? <laughs> yes, you got the date right. No April Fool's. The reason we're blending in the themes of Ecclesiastes is because it highlights the bad news. Life is hard, suffering happens, sin has infected the world, and what we want you to see is this, you must confront the bad news if you, if you want to see the true beauty and hope of Easter. We are sinful and we live in a crooked world. We all die, but Easter tells us that death is not the end, and so we have to live with the end in mind. How are you or will you live knowing that the end is coming? Now, some of us choose to ignore that reality, but it's still reality. Many of us choose to just put our head down and live life under the sun, ignoring our creator. And much of that stems with how we view the world. And reading Ecclesiastes is an exercise in understanding world views, because everybody in this audience listening at home right now, you have a way of interpreting life. It's a worldview. Ecclesiastes raises the five big questions of life that everyone, Christian or not, is asking. First, there's the question of origins. Where did I come from? Now, over and over again in Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us to remember your creator. And the use of the title creator is evidence that he believes there is one. And so maybe you're here today and you don't believe there's a creator God. You think you randomly came about by chance. But no matter what you believe... We all have to still confront reality. What is reality? You may believe that you can fly, but I wouldn't advise you actually try to attempt to fly. There is a creator who one day you will meet. Will you ignore him or will you give your life to him? Now, the second big question is that of identity. Who am I? Who am I? In chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon takes us on a happiness quest, which feels like modern-day America, where people are so often living for themselves, looking inside themselves to discover who they are. What are we constantly told in every sector of life today? You can choose your identity, but you will never know who you truly are apart from your relationship with your Creator. And so Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2.11, I sought my identity in education, in pleasure, in achievements, and in the end, meaningless. Nothing was worthwhile. 
Now, the third big question is that of meaning. Why am I here? Meaning. Why am I here? Through the book, he alludes to this topic. In the midst of a mad world, people want to know if there's stability and purpose. And Solomon tells us that apart from God, there is none. Life is full of uncertainty. Bad things happen to seemingly good people. Life under the sun seems repetitive and monotonous. And he concludes the book this way. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. He says, fear God, keep his commands. Live for him and bring him glory. That is where you find meaning. And your, how you live now matters, he says, because there will be a judgment. Which gets to question number four, morality. How should I live? And most of Ecclesiastes is a discourse on how to live in every sector of life in light of eternity. So time and work and money and suffering, navigating those life spheres require wisdom. They require wisdom. He gets to that in chapter 8. Not folly. All of it's related to our relationship with God and eternity. Enjoy the things of life, he says, but never forget the reality of eternity. So will you live with the end in mind? Because no one can escape the fifth and final big question, and that is the one of destiny. What happens when I die? And if you're here today and you missed our whole series on Ecclesiastes, there was a lot of death and dark times. Almost every week it seemed like Solomon was saying, death is coming, death is coming, death is coming. In Ecclesiastes, death has the last word. Death is a catastrophe. And I think that's important because Ecclesiastes showed us about our mortality. And on Easter, we're reminded of the pain of Good Friday. And so Solomon says, you can live life with God or without God. This Easter, the choice is yours. But if you choose to live life without God, there will be consequences because you were made for a relationship with him. And so at the end of the book, he implores us to remember our creator. In fact, many of us have walked in this room today looking for hope. We know implicitly that life is hebel. We know we are but mere bubbles here and gone. We've been beaten down by life under the sun, yet we still choose to live life under the sun. And we do that, I think, because it's familiar. But what if there's something better? What if you don't have to live just under the sun? What if you could find true life in the sun, the son of God himself? That's our second point today. You know, the end of Ecclesiastes is meant to disappoint us. Solomon could not reverse the madness. We needed the son of Solomon to come. We needed a better hope. And the good news of Easter is that we have one. After Easter, we're going to study the book of Philippians. Uh, this is a series that we hope that you'll come back for. It's one of the letters of Paul in the New Testament, and it contains themes that are directly relevant to Easter. Uh, concerning the theme of death, chapter 1, Paul will tell us to live as Christ and to die is gain. Uh, in this book, in chapter 3, Paul will talk about the problem of meaninglessness. In this way, he says, I count all things as lost compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, to be found in him and to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's what gives his life meaning. 
But really the heart of of Philippians is found in chapter 2 where there's a summary of the good news that we learn about on Easter weekend. In chapter 2 there is a a highlight there, a synopsis of the sacrificial nature of Christ's death, his his burial, and and the glory of his resurrection. And so there's a hymn in chapter 2, it's called the Kenosis Hymn, really it was an early church creed that documents the journey from Jesus' deity to his humanity, to his humility, to his ultimate victory, and then our responsibility. Take a look at this hymn with me this morning. It says this, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now pause there for just a moment and notice a few things. First of all, notice what he gave up. Notice it says that Jesus was in very nature God, but yet the text says he made himself nothing. He gave it all up. Some texts say he emptied himself. Now think with me. This is the Lord Jesus, the great I am. He enjoyed all the privileges of God, and yet here he stoops and he stoops and he stoops, and just when you think he can't stoop any lower, he stoops some more. Think about all of the privileges that the Lord gave up. Uh, He enjoyed the presence of his Father. He enjoyed the privileges of heaven. He enjoyed the position of kingship, the power of authority, the praise of angels. This is the Lord Jesus. Why did he give all of this up? Why did he humble himself? The answer was for you. Now notice, not only does it tell us what he gave up, the next verse tells us what he took on. Look at verse 8 with me. It says this, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So notice, what did he take on? It says he took on humanity. It says he took on the form of a servant. And he took on the identity of a criminal as he died on a cross as punishment for sin. And then like a soap bubble that was popped, the Savior of the world breathed his last breath and was gone and he was buried in a tomb. He took on the very death that the book of Ecclesiastes has been talking about, but this was no ordinary death. The Bible says when he died, he died without sin, and he did this in our place for our sins to take upon himself the judgment for sin and put an end to death once and for all. This was called a substitutionary death. But then what we celebrate on Easter is that he was raised victoriously from the grave so that we no longer have to fear death. This is the good news of the gospel. He died for you. He took, if you will, the sting of death, the judgment of God unto himself as he was judged in our place. This is why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that death has lost its sting. I heard a story about a little boy who was driving in the back seat of a car with his dad. And there was a bee in the car flying around the car. And the boy became afraid and he started to scream. Is anybody in here just a little bit afraid of bees? I remember when I was little, I was very afraid of bees because I was allergic. Well, this boy was afraid. And the father, not really knowing what to do, quickly got an idea. He reached out and he grabbed the bee inside of his hand. And then he opened up his hand And the bee flew back out and started to buzz around the car again. And the father looked back to his son and said, son, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And he held out his hand and he showed his son in the palm of his hand was the stinger of the bee. He let the bee sting him. 
And then he said, son, look, I've got the stinger in my hand. The bee can't do anything to you anymore. Friends, here's the good news of Easter. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ took the stinger of sin's judgment into his own body. And now we don't have to be afraid of death anymore because when we have faith in Jesus, death has lost its sting. After death, we're given eternal life. This is life in the Son. Because of Easter, Jesus has reversed all of the madness. And so instead of vanity of vanities, all is vanity, the New Testament declares eternity of eternities, all is eternity. Jesus has brought us from a life of meaninglessness to a life of purpose, from a life of endless suffering to eternal hope, from a life of death to a life of eternity, from dust to glory. He's given us beauty from ashes. Amen. Give him praise and glory in the house today. He's given us beauty from ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so here's the choice. You can either live your life defined by Hebel, or you can live your life defined by the gospel. And the choice, friends, is yours. But once we place our faith in the sun, we no longer have to live under the sun. Now we can learn to live beyond the sun. And that's point number three, beyond the sun. We can choose to live beyond the sun. Now, I suspect there's more than a few people who've walked in this room today or you're listening online, and you know what it's like to live in the madness of life. You feel the pressure of that under-the-sun life right now, and you say, yes, it is madness. I just can't take it anymore, and you want to escape. But today I want to tell you, and what Dave is telling you, is that Easter promises the future hope of resurrection, of new heavens and new earth. There is power in the message of Easter, the power to live joyfully in a world that is crazy mad and out of control. So let's come back to the bubbles one more time. We've been blowing bubbles this whole message. They've been everywhere. Maybe you even got some on your face as you walked in here today. We've been blowing those bubbles. But what have you noticed? Bubbles symbolize the temporary, the fleeting nature of life. They're here, and then, poof, they're gone. They're gone. They pop. You enjoy them for a moment, and then they're out of here. But imagine, just imagine if you could trade the transitory joy of seeing a bubble for something that lasts longer, something more enduring. Did anybody get to go and look for their Easter basket this morning? Maybe this afternoon, kids, you're going to go out and you're going to start running for eggs in an egg hunt. You're going to get so excited. What if you could tap into a power that would bring joy even in the midst of pain? What if you could trade bubbles for something like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? All right? And this is where it's going to pay to be standing in the front of the audience here today. What if you got a Reese's? Reese's just joy coming out. You know you want to pass them out, Pastor Dave. Come on. These are not just for me. Here's the joy coming out. Reese's. Reese's joy. The unending joy of the Reese's peanut butter cup. Think about the joy. The joy. Right now, you are suffering. You need to have some joy. Right? If you're right now, you're 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 going through a pain and discourage, you need some joy. Right? Are you experiencing pain? Here it comes. Joy. There you go. Oh, my goodness, friends. Now, Reese's can give us joy, 
But what we're talking about today is something that provides so much more joy than we can imagine. Easter promises to us unending joy in the midst of the transitory life. Amen? Amen. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can experience true joy and peace and love. And so I want to challenge you today, don't selfishly just escape the madness, joyfully live within it. In one sermon, Dr. Tim Keller makes a wonderful observation about a concept introduced by J.R.R. Tolkien. He says this, he says, do you know what the gospel means? It's the word euangelion. It literally means joy news. Earlier we spoke about death being a catastrophe. Well, in contrast, J.R.R. Tolkien says there's a kind of story that brings us unbelievable joy. He says these stories have always, always have a kernel of truth in them. There's always some incredibly hopeless situation, uh, and victory is snatched out of the jaws of defeat. But how? It always happens when somebody comes in and whose weakness turns out to be strength, someone whose defeat turns out to be victory. He says those kinds of stories that seem to bring us joy, he called them catastrophes. Do you know what the word catastrophe means? Kids say it with me, you catastrophe, one, two, three, you catastrophe. Do you know what it means? It means the joyful catastrophe, the tragedy that turns out to be triumph, the sacrifice that turns out to bring joy. He said, however, there's a you catastrophe of the you catastrophes. There's a story in all the stories. He believes there's a base string in the human heart, and those stories... Can, can kind of make it reverberate a little bit, but they can't, they can't pluck your heart. Tolkien says the gospel story is the only story that can pluck the strings of your whole heart, and it never stops reverberating and vibrating with joy. The reason it will reverberate is because this is the reality to which all the other stories point. It happened. It really happened. There really is, there really is a hero who defeats the villain. There really is Jesus. And so the word gospel means the joy news. Joy. It's real and you have to have it. So friends, Easter is the joyful catastrophe. I think, I think you're, you know, right now you might be somebody who's living in the madness but then somebody steps in and gives you the power to live despite all of your circumstances. The message of the gospel is that. It is you catastrophic. Pastor Dave? Amen. You know, earlier Pastor Bob said something happens when we become adults and we stop running. And I want you to remember that Easter Sunday morning, there was a couple of disciples who ran to the tomb. Easter teaches us to run again. After the catastrophe, after Philippians chapter 2 teaches us all that he gave up and all that he took on, it then begins to tell us what happened next. So I want to teach you one more truth from Philippians chapter 2 as we finish that section and take a look at what Paul writes in verses 9 through 11. After he gave up all that he had in heaven and after he took on humanity and died in our place, it says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen? Notice a few things here. 
Notice, it says that he was given the name that is above every name. Now, contrary to what a lot of people think, and kids listen to this, uh, the name that is above every name is actually not the name Jesus. The name that is above every name is the name Lord. That word Lord there was a title, which might not mean much to you, but for those who lived in the Roman Empire, the word Lord, the title Curios, was given to Caesar, the emperor, and it was the most powerful name in all of the world. Every citizen would have to say, Caesar is Lord. It was the term that meant the master, the ruler, the one in control, the one who's totally sovereign, the king. So do you see the significance of what Paul is saying here about Jesus being given this name and to apply this title to Jesus was a very revolutionary matter. And if you were Jewish and listening to this, the name Lord was the name of God from the Old Testament. This was the title of Yahweh, the great I am, the Lord, the Almighty. What this means is that Jesus is very God from very God. He has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forevermore, he reigns. And the name that Jesus has been given is the name Lord. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that he is Lord. Meaning, what Jesus does for us on Easter weekend in defeating sin and death and reversing the madness and the decay and the meaninglessness of this world calls for a response on our part. Did you notice what the response is supposed to be? Everybody is supposed to have this same response. There are certain words that we are all supposed to say, and they are these three words. Jesus is Lord. Can we say that together? Jesus is Lord. Lord, when we say that, everything about life begins to change. You might say, what exactly does that mean? It means you commit all of your life to him. It means you're not in charge, he is. It means he calls the shots, not you. It means that you're putting him at the center. It means he now has the right to determine what's going on in my life, not me. And since Jesus is God, it also means I believe he has everything under control. So to say Jesus is Lord is not just a statement about worship. It's also a statement of great encouragement and great comfort for you, brothers and sisters. You can say that although everything looks bleak. Jesus is Lord. It's a way of confessing to yourself that you know he's got everything under control. Jesus is Lord. I might not see it in what's happening right now, but Jesus is Lord, and I recognize that fact by faith. Jesus is Lord. It might look like the other side's winning right now, but Jesus is Lord. You might think you can't cope anymore, that you can't handle anything else, but Jesus is Lord. You might think your problems are too great that you can't handle any more pressure. Jesus is Lord. Circumstances might pile up against you. People might thwart you and fight you, but Jesus is Lord. Can we say that phrase together? Jesus is Lord. Friends, to say that phrase all of the time in life means to submit to him in all of your ways. When you're discouraged, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're tired, Jesus is Lord. Say that phrase when you're worried, Jesus is Lord. Say that phrase when you're anxious and afraid, Jesus is Lord. Say it when you're grieving and you don't know why somebody has died. Jesus is Lord. And say it when you can't go one more step. Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. This is how you live beyond the sun. This is what Easter is all about. Well, as we finish today, 
and the worship team comes on stage. they got one more song we're going to sing in response. I want to speak to two different groups of people right now. First, many of you here in the audience, or again, if you're listening with us today, um, you're Christians, and you've been, more to e- more, you've been to more Easter services than you can count. And yet, what's interesting is you might resonate more with the madness and the sadness of Ecclesiastes than Easter. You don't have joy. And so I want to invite you today to reconnect, to recommit, to rediscover the joyful catastrophe of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Commit today to living a life of joy because someone stepped into your mess and snatched victory from defeat. That's what we celebrated with the baptism this morning. Now, second, if you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you to receive the joy news of the gospel for the very first time. Jesus Christ stepped into time and space for you. On Good Friday, he died on the cross for you. On Easter, he rose again so that even though one day you may die, it will not be forever. Friends, you can live life with God or without God. And I want to exhort you today, choose joy, choose life, choose Jesus because Jesus is Lord and nothing else matters. So we're going to sing one final song. You want to warm us up here, John, and get us going? This Easter, and as we look towards the joyful message of Philippians that we're going to start next week, let's reverse the madness by choosing joy. May people see something different about us, a joy that they have to have. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. I thank you for all my friends that are here in the audience that have chosen to step into this place on Easter or they've chosen to to, to be with us, watching us today, Lord. And I know there's some folks that are out there that don't know you. Some folks that may have been coming to this church for many years, for many weeks, for many months, Lord, and and you're tugging on their heart right now, Lord, and yet they don't want to take the step. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and you would move on somebody's heart this morning, Lord, that you would tell them that the madness that they're experiencing, they don't have to experience that, Lord, because you have come to reverse the madness. You died on the cross. Every part of fallen creation will fall down and call you Lord one day. And so if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus, if you don't know what it means to experience this joyful catastrophe, I'm going to ask you to to pray with me right now. I'm going to pray a prayer and ask you to pray after me if you want to receive Jesus and call him Lord for the first time. So if that's you today, you you haven't stepped over the line, you haven't called Jesus Lord yet, would you just pray this prayer right now? Would you just say, Jesus, Jesus, I confess right now that I am a sinner. I've seen all the sin we've been talking about. I know I have a problem. And I need a solution. And I recognize today that the solution was you, Lord Jesus, coming in the flesh to walk amongst us, to die the perfect death and sacrifice. In my place, I should have died on that cross, and yet you did. You took the sting of death on yourself when I should have experienced it. And today, today I give my life to you, and I call you Lord. I surrender myself to you right now. Be my Savior, be my Lord. I give all of myself to you, and I surrender now. 
In Jesus' name we pray that. In Jesus' name.